I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So here I am on Queen's Promenade in Margate, sunny Margate, it's a bank holiday Monday, Uh, it's all a bit sleepy at the moment, it's 9am, so for this uh, mission the the guest that I've chosen has asked me to meet me at the Walpole Bay Hotel at 9am and we're going for a swim in the sea, so we're going uh, in a sea lido. Uh, which I, th- I think it's the North Sea, isn't it, um, on this coast near Margate, and it's Gemma Kearney who is uh, coming to meet me. I've just nipped into the hotel. It's absolutely classic. It's like stepping back in time. There's the gentle kind of tinkle of china on cups and kids uh, using the ancient elevator with those kind of old sliding doors. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's really real step back in time. So I'm looking out at the sea. It's quite sunny, but there's a chilly wind. Uh, a guy just jumped into the Lido and got straight back out, effing and blinding. And, uh, yeah, it looks quite cold. So um, let's see when Gemma turns up if I really have to go swimming this morning. So here we are, uh, we're back in the room and yes, Gemma did turn up and she did take me swimming and yes, it was ruddy freezing. <laughs> Hello Gemma, how you doing? Hello Robbie, it's so nice to see you, I'm so happy to have you here in Margate as well and I can't believe you swam. Well I was just saying, I mean my sort of 24, 36 hours in Margate has been, it's like a carry-on film meets <laughs> a sort of action-adventure sort of uh, 40 towers it's like absolutely everything thrown in there this place is just absolutely crazy i wanted to talk to you about festivals but we've got to talk about margate first Mm. because it's just like it is a a real one-of-a-kind place how did you end up here all roads lead back to margate it's so weird um a good friend of mine actually a mutual friend of ours amy amy zing who was one of the founders of sink the pink um moved here and it just completely captured me straight away for an imagination factor rather than just a you know a very kind of shortly written base gentrification factor that's often written about Margate it's not as simple as that it's a magical space and it lets your dreams run wild partly because the sky turns tutti frutti <laughs> most of the year so it sends you like that 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the sunsets here. The if if you haven't been to Margate, listeners, then you you must make a trip here because it is unlike anywhere else I've been to. A total melting pot, potpourri of just every every type of person imaginable. And um, yeah, we're having a, we're having a great time. So obviously, we've come here to talk to Gemma about festivals yeah. because that is what we we do on the A to Z of festivals with Rob DeBank. We're going to c- kick off with a couple of little true or falses just to. Um, just to kind of get us warmed up after our little sea swim. Uh, true or false, Margate is the new Shoreditch? <laughs> false! There's little elements because it's a bit gritty and I've seen people here that I haven't seen for 10 years and used to see back in the day on Brick Lane. But the one thing that Shoreditch doesn't have is a massive, amazing beach. <laughs> that is true. OK, um, your radio interviewing highlight of all time was recently interviewing Throbbing Gristle's Cosy Fanny Tootie about gardening tips. <laughs> yes, very strange, right? <laughs> having a very surreal point in my career, which I'm loving. <laughs> uh, you're a world-renowned expert on snakes. Oh, my God, I hate them. And I interviewed uh, Kristen Hirsch from Throwing Muses recently for my series, The Ledger Society, where we find out about people's pastimes and hobbies, and she loves snakes. So we went to the reptile house at Regent Park Zoo at 9am midweek and uh, walked around talking about trauma and snakes. It was very weird, <laughs> um, but very cool. And it was one of those ones that I didn't really know what had happened, except for the fact that I was in fear from these snakes and she loved them. So I listened back to the show and was like, oh, she's... I mean, I knew she was kind of amazing, but it was worth listening back to what she said because I kind of can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> she was just t- so captivated and scared by the snakes. Yeah. Okay, keeping it on the animal tip, um, you woke up this morning with a pigeon in your room. Oh, my goodness, I didn't want you to say that. But, yeah, I, ke- I basically just went to brush my teeth and the window was open and there was a pigeon in my room. Which is a disaster. <laughs> and we're hoping that when Gemma goes back to her flat in a little while, it will have left. So, um, yeah, so we've um, sort of talked a little bit about Margate. Um, obviously, you, I mean, our personal sort of history goes back to Radio 1 and, um, you know, the festival coverage, you know, your Glastonbury coverage. I remember when I was um, at Radio 1 and broadcasting from the site and I think it was the first year of the park and you'd been sent up am I imagining this or you'd been sent up to the top of that tower Tower, with the rainbow sort of threads coming down from it and were you you filming or or, or was that radio or tv? I was filming um so I did seven years of roving reporting for the BBC like for the Glastonbury coverage um and it's only sort of stopped because I was like I, I like I've seen every bit of Glastonbury and and maybe that this should be somebody else. Um, but it was such a privilege because it made me fall in love with what I believe to be the godfather of festivals because I had the luxury of going to all the the nooks and crannies via my job being the person that takes you on that mad like journey and being like, I'm about to tightrope, I'm on the top of a rainbow tower. Um, there's a wall of death here. Uh, I'm upside down. There's salsa dancing. There's some South American street art. And, and that, for me, just really tickled my fancy because I'm an eclectic person. And it, uh, Glastonbury is more than the sort of backstage pictures that you see of people in Hunter Wellies. And it's more than the headliner. It's more than the controversy of Kanye, for example. You know, that year was just kind of ridiculous. Like, and I covered the fact that people were for and against, and it was kind of interesting politically. But 
Glastonbury just sets your mind on fire and it's huge and ridiculous. But in some ways, I'm so impressed with what everybody that works on it does because they do create an alternative life. So like by the sort of fourth day, you're like, I could actually live like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's utopian, isn't it? I was, I was going to ask you at some point later in the interview about what your favourite festival was, but I think you may have just answered it there. I do really love it. I also love, I've loved festival over the years. I've had magical moments at festival. Look, look this is not about me and uh, festival. <laughs> you don't need to say that. So, um, but I, I agree. I mean, every, everyone that I've interviewed for this series so far, at some point, we always come back to Glastonbury. Mm. And, um, and the good thing is, I don't think anyone hopefully listening will get bored of that either whether they've been to Glastonbury or not because it sort of holds this special place doesn't it and it's just like a, a sort of echelons above what what the rest of us do so um, I mean I was going to ask you what your first um, festival experience was that's a good question I think a proper festival it was Glastonbury and I managed to get a free ticket via a mate and I was really optimistic. I'm an optimistic person, but I was like stupid, basically. I was about 20 and I had tiny little white popper boots on that I got from Lacoste. I was an assistant stylist at the time living in East London and I had managed to get these boots and people were looking at me as I was walking towards the festival, literally like I was an idiot and saying, you, those will get red. I was like, no, they won't. They're wiped clean. It's going to be fine. And like within two hours, I had to have plastic bags on my feet. <laughs> and we walked in to Bjork on the pyramid stage, I think. And the sun was setting and it, I couldn't actually believe it. I couldn't believe it that that was a, it was a real experience. I was like, wow, this is what my hippie friends have been going on about. <laughs> so you were one of those people that you occasionally see at festivals with a pair of plastic bags on their, on their shoes that have chosen the wrong uh, footwear <laughs> it's happened to me and i and i feel like um i've bumped into many a one extra dj at glastonbury with a similar look <laughs> once when um yeah we booked tim westwood to play at, at festival and he refused to get out of his white shiny range rover because of his trainers and it wasn't even a wet year and it was just he didn't want to get them on the grass let alone in some mud so um Why yeah, am foot, I not footwear and festivals Footwear and festivals kind of a, it's a it's an interesting one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you t you just touched on um, your stylist um, thing because obviously we're going to talk about festivals, but also you know yourself and you know you did actually not start out, but one of your jobs was as a, as a stylist for bands, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so I was young and um, dramatic, and I'd been <laughs> at drama school, and I couldn't get any acting work <laughs> and I was like what the hell am I gonna do but I was like an excitable puppy I think for the kind of early noughties London and I was living just off Brick Lane in a tiny flat like I couldn't afford anything I was a tequila girl for money and I what, what's a tequila girl <laughs> it, it sounds very dubious these days in the modern light like this I'm not that like but it was never seedy I just sort of got paid to go out really and I, I, I used to uh, work in bars in central London with like a leather holster and I wasn't in a bikini or anything like that just, just, just to let just, just as a disclaimer I was in a dress it was a nice image for a while but yeah. no she was fully clothed <laughs> yeah, I was fully clothed just because people were a bit like what um, and I had like yeah glasses attached to me and then a bottle of tequila and would sell shots to people okay. I, th I thought you were like a vodka jelly type person at festivals like where you're just going around selling vodka jellies but with tequila but no you were actually working in, a, in an establishment <laughs> yeah but I mean 
it was commission only, so I had to work pretty tough. Wow. Um, How much did you get if you sold a shot of tequila? Well, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was a cowboy. <laughs> um, well, it, yeah, so you had to, you got paid by the bottle, so you'd sell wow. the bottle. So it's like, just, and yeah, it was hardcore, it was hard work, yeah, yeah. but I actually did really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the to, gift of the gab. Yeah, yeah, I used to say, I used to call it magic love potion and say, <laughs> and say that if you have a shot of the tequila, you will have special loving for a year. And people would be like, oh yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, can you believe it? People couldn't resist. £3.50, bang. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you have got the gift of the gab and you are infectious. We're both uh, wetting ourselves, laughing on this lovely um, hotel balcony already. But um, I mean, just back to, back to sort of festivals. Um, you know, and you talked just amazingly there about Glastonbury and all the, the magic of Glastonbury. What, you know, for me, uh, you know, the magic of festivals is, is the sort of escapism, the be- becoming someone else, leaving your kind of mundane rubbish at the door, you know, forgetting about your worries. Um, you know, what, what is it for you about festivals that sort of um, ticks your box? It's weird because I, over the years, I'm a, I've gone a little bit long in the... T- like, a, li- a little bit... Not bored, but I feel like the saturation of this idea of a festival has become quite capitalist. So I'm a little bit more like, now at the idea of a festival, but I don't actually mean that because when I think about it properly, by the way, we're sitting outside the hotel, which is why there's like noises of children and cars and stuff. (laughs) Um, But um, actually when I'm now that I'm thinking about it and going and analyzing my, my relationship with festivals, like, I love that sense of freedom. I, I, I promote that in everyday life. I, I think it's funny that people feel like they can only get dressed up at festivals. Like, I want to get dressed up every day. <laughs> um, yeah, so talk us through today's outfit because we're on a... It's a bank holiday Monday, so yeah, you could go a bit... Um, <laughs> A bit sort of outside the box, but you're not in your, you're not in a tracksuit. No, I'm in a, a velvet jumpsuit, a leopard print cap, and some jelly shoes. <laughs> and it's a good look, ladies and gents. We we are loving the look. Anything goes in Margate. You're allowed. You're totally allowed. We're sort of always like not really clothed on the beach and you just get used to just like making things work in a practical manner rather than a look so you might as well be wild and there are some amazing um antique and sort of vintage shops here aren't there yeah there's amazing places honestly this place never bores me you find out something new historically or futuristically like or socially every day really it's a mad mad place but going back to the styling thing basically i was a tequila girl and i used to like clothes and I used to, well, I'd, I'd go with my, like, 20, I'd have 20 quid in cash, right, that I would take down to Beyond Retro or the end of Cheshire Street and be like, what am I going to wear today? And I'd spend hours mooching, listening to, like, jangly indie bands that they'd be playing on the speakers and choose my vintage dress for the day. And it was just my most fun thing to do. And this is before Instagram, you know, it wasn't to show off. It was just my actual pleasure. Um, and then I, I thought to myself, I wonder if you can do this as a job, like, just, yeah. like, shop. Yeah. Um, and then I learned that styling is actually quite hard <laughs> and you have to be quite like good methodically at stuff which I wasn't so great at but I had all the enthusiasm and I assisted a lot of great people and um, and yeah and I ended up working with my mates because we were just all out so you'd be like at a party and I'd like have a chat with Florence be like how are things going and she'd be like yeah and I'd just be like do you want to do a shoot together we were all there was like a sort of beautiful halcyon 
haze around certain scenes in London at that time because it wasn't self-conscious necessarily because it was just like us lot like hanging out and supporting each other and going to different club nights and whatever and dancing so so how did it go from that into broadcasting which obviously you're now doing you know tv radio documentaries um you know really insightful um stuff and you know you 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 started on one extra yes i started on one extra with trev uncle trev he hates it when i call him that but trevor now (laughs) um he's too young to be an uncle (laughs) he's not you know (laughs) i I do know i know his real age it's quite shocking (laughs) it's amazing isn't it it's absolutely amazing trevor you look incredible (laughs) he does he does um and he became my mentor so i did this program called pick me mtv which i did really begrudgingly because i didn't want to be part of a reality tv show but i actually really needed a job and the researchers kept being like please come to do this show. And I got down to the final three to be an MTV newsreader. And I didn't get the job. Laura Whitmore did, who's now, like, a, a pretty big presenter. <laughs> it's all right, we get on, it's all good. And all, partly I didn't get the job because uh, Trevor just sort of was like, I think you're really special, but I cannot imagine you reading the news, even if it is MTV news. And I was like, it's all right. I didn't expect to get it anyway. And then one day he just called me. I remember it so specifically. It was really surreal. I was in my like little flat wondering what my next kind of weird job or scheme would be. And um, he was like, do you want to pilot for the One Extra Breakfast show? And this is 11 years ago. And I was like, yeah. And um, th- the rest is kind of just there. Like, you know, I've had a, a me- I, 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 I would never have imagined my career over the past 10 years. And it makes me quite emotional because I had the best time. It's hard. It's been hardcore and really up and down. But, like, I love broadcast. I love radio. I love communicating. I went to drama school kind of originally for a reason, I think, because I love people. And I, even the fashion stuff, it all kind of makes sense now. And, um, yeah, it's been a lot, a lot of fun. And now I'm in a really interesting position because I'm not on a regular show, even though I've done many regular shows. So I'm sort of doing different projects, which I just, I'm really proud of, like for Radio 4 and for 6, and I wrote a book, and it's been mad, yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. 
BlueNile.com. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of Festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. Gemma's just tucking into her cheese scone and banana to, to warm up after our uh, subarctic swim. But we're um, we're here uh, in Margate talking festivals. It's the age set of festivals with Gemma Kearney and Rob DeBank. Um, so just, I mean, I, I was really captivated by when you were talking about Glastonbury earlier. And, you know, a lot of people obviously go to Glastonbury. Some just go to see the bands. Some people want to go and see the other side of it, you know, the alternative side. And you were saying, because I've, I've seen a bit of that with what I did with Radio 1 there, you know, when you get taken through that velvet rope, through that sort of back that back door into the sort of um, secret world of Glastonbury. So tell us a bit more about some of those sort of bits that you saw that you got taken taken by either Emily or Michael or, you know, backstage. Because the, the annoying thing is you go to Glastonbury, you can go for five days and you can see, you know, just 10% of it. And so what are some of those bits that are so great? So one of the features that I did for BBC Two really late at night um, really sticks with me as a very psychedelic experience and this has nothing to do with ingesting anything like I mean just as a as an actual experience and obviously I was doing like we were doing telly and it all been like set up by researchers that they're saying there's this really weird thing that we're going to go and cover at around midnight and I said okay cool you know so I'm preparing but they couldn't quite explain <laughs> what I was going to do so I was like you know me anything goes just like let's do this and it was going to be a live link from block nine, it was only going to be two minutes long, <laughs> um, and I was going to experience live theatre as I walked, like experiential theatre as I walked through what had been created as a black a block of flats, I think. And then I was going to end somewhere amazing. <laughs> and the block of flats weirdly looks a little bit like the block of flats in Margate. When you come out the station and there's this kind of Banksy kind of... My son, actually, he's only 12. He's like, Dad, this is like Dismalland. He's never even yeah. been to Dismalland. And, yeah. and block nine at Glastonbury is a little bit like that, isn't it? For people listening that don't know what it is, it's, um, it's incredibly architecturally built sort of... Um, buildings in the middle of a field in Somerset. It's phenomenal and it really sets a tone as well. It's like it, it, we were talking about Glastonbury being utopian, but this, particularly at a certain time of night, is really dystopian. And actually, if I'm completely honest, I'm a bit of a pansy, like I'm quite a delicate flower, so it wouldn't necessarily be my place of choice necessarily if I was just out in the festival because it really pushes you mm. in a way. But to cover it for TV is an amazing privilege as a sort of broadcast journalist. So basically, I'm walking through this flat and like people are like shouting at me and you're going to different rooms and there's different scenes and there was all these amazing like women dressed in like African traditional dress, like having a massive, really impassioned discussion with me. And I didn't even like know what was going on because you're just sort of being led. You get into a fridge <laughs> and my cameraman was like, literally like sort of manoeuvring around this space with me it's live on the tv you've got to kind of illustrate somehow communicate what's going on even though you don't know and then you go down a slide at the end and you basically end up in a party <laughs> and it was like an indoor nightclub mm-hmm. and I was just like 
I don't even know what's going on, but this is kind of amazing. And it was, I think, if I remember rightly, it was Yumi Bum Bum Train, who are yeah. uh, a really like cult followed um, experiential theatre company that are known to really take you to another place. And they were there at Glastonbury at post midnight doing this. And I just thought, wow, if you're somewhere in the UK, just, you know, that, in yeah. a so, in Brexit land, <laughs> I mean, this is before Brexit, thank goodness, um, but like just. You know, if you're living somewhere quite conservatively, like, and then you are watching the TV because you wanted to see whoever the headliner was at Glastonbury, and then you suddenly see that you can walk through a fridge, like, this is going to bend your mind. And I love that. Yeah. And so did, I mean, part of going to festivals as well is, is that it's sort of escapism, being able to do whatever you want to do. Did you ever feel sort of, God, I wish, I, I wish the cameras would go away and the film crew would just bugger off for a couple of hours and I could just really let loose I mean did it feel like a job or um only like when I was like a lot younger so I started doing it when I was like 23 um and I did really want to do it all I not that I didn't want to work I love doing the. I really love my job when I when I love it and you know if you've got the right team and the Glastonbury thing is really special and then but just like when we'd finish I'd be like right now and I do remember being led by a cloaked woman holding fire like a fire thing like a poi-esque thing or a lantern and the loads like like we were trying to go shangri-la really late at night this is off camera and um we, i was getting a bit claustrophobic i was like i don't really want to wait in these queues to get down shangri-la and actually i've got to go to bed i've got work tomorrow so we started to like veer off from the crowds that were heading towards shangri-la me and my boyfriend at the time and then we saw some people sort of slipping under a bush kind of thing and i was like we just they look they've got a way out so we like sort of like followed them and then i realized that i was like with loads of people that i know like nick grimshaw and like i was like what are you doing here? What? and everybody was just going under this bush or something and being led by this woman we just basically get led to this pub I don't even know where it was in Glastonbury. <laughs> and um, the cloak gets taken off and it's Florence Welsh. And she jumps behind the bar and we just have, have a party. <laughs> and then you woke up from this mad psychedelic dream that you thought was actually real. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, oh, cool, we found a good spot then. Um, you know, and that's what Glastonbury does. It just, you, you, you can... And also there's a holistic side and that's something that I've... I've started to enjoy and really hit a sweet spot with I think just in 2017 I had a completely different experience I wasn't working I did one link on BBC4 introducing the Jacksons which just like I rang my dad straight away and just cried because it was really cool and then the rest of it I was there on a yellow double-decker open-top bus in the green futures field um and really enjoying that, like, that, you know, the real sentiment of Glastonbury, the really, like, beautiful, healing side of Glastonbury. Yeah, the roots, the earthy side that is always, is always there at Glastonbury. So and, I, I mean, just going back to um, what you said when you said you've got a bit, you know, a bit long in the tooth for festivals mm. and you kind of detect that you know commercialism and I mean as a festival promoter you know it's a constant battle where you're riding this sort of tightrope of trying to make the festival work you know commercially and that's not even making a profit that's just to actually you know break even and, and then you know sponsor, sponsorship and you know partners and mm. things that you might not want to do and then so it's, it's kind of from behind it I can sort of see that there's that that struggle but do, do you think the festival landscape in general is, is going too far that way do you think you know there's it's just creeping into everywhere I think one of the problems is how we 
document everything. Like, I really like podcasts actually because it's got this such an independent spirit. But I'm just really like bored of this kind of filtered lifestyle. And I think that that's projected it in, in many different ways. And I think festivals, festivals and the idea of festivals is that. It's like, I, fe- I don't really know if you can call just literally putting a stage in, a, in your local park <laughs> and filling it with rubbish and, putting, you know, and having a stand where you can buy wings and everybody gets absolutely, like, wrecked on warm <laughs> blue nun. Like, don't get me wrong, I've been there, I've done it. Like, I like a party. I really do. It's not me being anti-party. Or I just think, it, I don't know if a, that's a gig. That's a, that is a, that's a Sunday party. Like, yeah. I don't know whether <laughs> all of the festivals are festivals. Yeah, yeah I got quite um, <laughs> snobby about that a few years ago when the day festival started popping up and... Um, and you know, I was like, oh, we, we need to redefine it and actually have a definition of like, you have to, you know, have um, a green field. You have yeah. to have yeah. camping. You know, it's, you know, it has to be at least two or three days long. Yeah. But then I started a day festival, <laughs> and then I kind of called it a day festival, yeah. and it was like completely out the window. So it's it's, it's become blurred, hasn't it? You know, a village fate can be a festival these days, yeah. and a film festival is like a, a yeah. festival or a you know a vegetable growing festival is suddenly a, a music festival with a band in the corner so it's 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 a very yeah it's got blurred lines now i think it's the commercialization that makes me feel a bit like exhausted when it just goes too far you know i think like a heart a bit of individuality in like independence in some way it doesn't have to be really kooky like, I, th- I i'm i'm a believer of inclusivity and accessibility and i also am a believer that one of our biggest problems is classism, you know, we talk about isms a lot, but, you know, so I I want everyone to feel welcome. It's just this idea, like, that, like, big, big corporate brands making, like, a lot of money without thinking about the soul behind stuff. And I'm also not anti-money. I just think it it can become, I think capitalism can become really lazy, and I think people buy into that because they've seen an Instagram picture, and it's that, that quick, it's like... It's like buying stuff online really quickly. Like, we're sort of living like that. And I think festivals have fallen foul of that in some ways. Um, Not all, absolutely. And there's new stuff all the time, which is incredible. And then there's old stuff too. And obviously you've had such a really big, epic journey with festival as well, which is, you know, an example of, like, of how kind of searing it can be, really. But... um, yeah, I, I love festivals and I like the idea of them, but I mean, you know, like I love Edinburgh Festival. I go to that and the Fringe Festival and the Book Festival. It's not a festival. No, so um, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, is yeah, it? Yeah. Is it or not? No, know? I'm I'm joking. Yeah. Of course, I mean, yeah. Well, a festival, I suppose, is a is a gathering of people, you know, sharing stuff and having fun and mm. education and all that. So it could be anything. So is, is there a, maybe a Gemstival or a Kenny-stable uh, in, in the wings where you're like, right, I know how to do this because these people are cocking up. I'm going to do it properly. I mean, I'm in awe of you that you did that. I I don't know if I could. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very in awe. I think about it sometimes because I get moments where I, was like, I, I think to myself, I would love to bring people together in such a way. But 
as to whether I, I could pull it off, I don't know. But And I do think of you and I think, flipping heck, well done. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind. Um, so um, let's, let's sort of uh, wrap this up before we uh, perish of, of post-swim cold. But... Um, I'm being a weed, aren't I? No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Gemma, by the way, goes swimming in the that this sort of seawater lido every every day of the year. As much as I can, yeah. I'm I'm very busy and I'm not always in Margate, but when I'm here, I I see it from my bedroom. I see. I see a giant swimming pool in the sea from my bedroom and it just calls me in. <laughs> it, is, it is great. It's like a big sort of concrete granite wall around around um, a big patch of. Uh, sort of beach isn't it and then when the tide goes out then you've still got this uh, sweet seawater swimming pool there so so what's next in the land of um, Gemma you've got Boom Shakalak um, yeah. Productions you've got the Leisure Society is that still is that is there a new um, series of that coming yeah so the Leisure Society is wrapping up but you can listen to it all again online um, in its third series and it's talking to different people yesterday we uh, put out the Damon Albarn interview, which was interesting. Um, and we're wrapping up with Zowie Ashton. Um, so, yeah, but, like, subscribe to it online, etc. The Sound Odyssey, which I did for Radio 4, taking British artists to different parts of the world to collaborate and make music. That's coming back in September. Right. We've done our first trip. We took Kate Stables from This Is The Kit to Casablanca. And I'm going to Guyana with Loyal Kana next month. Oh, no, that I'm so <laughs> jealous. The new Loyal Kana record is so good. I that, know. Yeah. I, like, I'm absolutely pumped about that. And don't get me wrong, it sounds glamorous, but on BBC budgets, it is hardcore. <laughs> uh, Two sleeping bags, you and Loyal Kana. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, Boom Shakalaka, my production company, we're producing a show that's going to Edinburgh Festival with Brigitte Aphrodite, who I know has played festival and camp festival. She's write, written a punk musical about a young girl who's an outsider and starts a, a band with the local parakeets and planets and they change the world. <laughs> <laughs> so we're taking that up to Edinburgh, which is kind of, I don't know how, if we've officially announced that, but it'll be really amazing. And it's called Parakeet. You can't miss it, really, once you start to get sucked in. <laughs> um, and Naturally, of course it is. <laughs> and I do want to take some time next year to write again, because I loved writing and I have an idea for another book. But it will mean, like, actually not doing everything all the time. It will mean... Slowing down. Slowing down, which yeah. is an interesting process to learn, but maybe it's part of growing up. There's, a, there's another whole podcast in there. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Let's slow down. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The pride of Birmingham and now Thanet. Thank you so much, Gemma Kearney. Oh, what a pleasure. Lovely way to have a bank holiday Monday morning. High five. Yes, love it. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of Festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, 
wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>